0: Hey mommy, hey mommy, hey mommy, hey mommy, hey mommy. You sexy, hey mommy, you sexy, hey mommy, you sexy, hey mommy, you beautiful, hey mommy, you sexy, hey mommy, you sexy, hey mommy, you sexy, hey. Can I get that number? Hey mommy, you sexy, hey mommy, you sexy, hey mom.
1: September 20th, 2022. <laughs> and if you can believe it, we didn't watch The Elephant Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tuesday once again. <laughs> I'm Chris Remo. I'm joined as always by <laughs> Nick Brecken. <laughs> Hi, I'm Neve. I will not be the Nick Brecken
2: of this podcast. No one is allowed to, to tweet Or post in the Discord, fuck Neve, except, like, maybe (laughs) (laughs) Joe. Even M, I won't allow it.
1: (laughs) Anyway. Group chat only for M. So, some background. When did we first try to watch this movie? Thursday? Thursday. 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 I was over here... Um... Well, to tell the full story... Yes.
2: So, for work on Tuesday... Yes. uh, I went to a trade show in Chicago, which if you're familiar with industrial supply trade shows, you probably know which one, because it's the biggest fucking one in the city. Ever. (laughs) Um, and that is just... So, it's at McCormick Place, which if you're not familiar with, uh, Chicago is, like, imagine a thing bigger than an airport mm-hmm. that's just huge buildings that, that you can do conferences in wow. and you could easily have like four five six conferences going on in there mm-hmm. this trade show takes up the full complex which so if you drive on on Lakeshore Drive which is one of the the big like it's almost an expressway but technically not yeah in Chicago
1: it's not the fucking Autobahn as far as I'm yeah.
2: concerned. <laughs> people, people go whatever fucking speed they want to go on that. <laughs> um, there's a part where you go. It's right around where you would like get on to 1994 or 55 to get to 1994. Mm-hmm. There's this like thing that goes over. It's like this tunnel yeah. that is connecting one building, which is huge to three other gigantic buildings. Trade show is in all of them. I had to uh, walk through all of those buildings. I focus the most on the one that's like the east side that's like closest to the, the lake. Um, but I had to go to all of those buildings. And every single one is full of like, there's like CNC machines that are like doing work because mm-hmm. they want to show you their CNC machine, which you probably don't even know what the fuck I'm talking nope. about. But it's just a, it's like a gigantic thing that you could like walk into that just has like metal arms and things with little tiny tools on them that will like cut metal. Mm-hmm. So you take, like, a, a round piece of stock and you turn it into, like, whatever fucking shape you want. Okay. There's that. There's just, like, flashing lights because here they're doing, like, safety lights or whatever. There's just, like, shit everywhere. And my job is, like, figuring out what stuff we want to add to our catalog, which I'm not going to say the name of the company I work for. We have a very iconic catalog. People want to be in our catalog if they know who we are. And a lot of people in industrial supply know us. hmm um, most people outside of industrial supply do not know us at all, right? Um, and as soon as people find out that I work for them, and also I'm somebody who decides stuff that gets added to that catalog, fucking everyone wants to talk to me and sell me shit, right? Well, like sell me on adding stuff, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was just, and I was there from like eight a.m., which is a like normally when I would start my day to like six. Ugh. Um, I took, like, 20 minutes to a half hour for lunch. Ugh. And so I have just been exhausted all fucking week.
1: Monday, um, I was at work, and right around closing time, um, one of my favorite customers was hanging out outside the store and got assaulted, and I had to call police and, like, an ambulance and get him taken care of. Tuesday, um, right around closing time... Some dude um, tried to start a fight with just a random guy who I don't know if that guy was a cop or the guy trying to start the fight. I was like, you're a cop. <laughs> I don't know what the situation was there. I haven't bumped into the guy who he was like trying to start a fight with um, since then. And then af- after I got guy who was trying to start a fight to leave, I was taking trash outside and just saw him wandering through traffic screaming at cars um, today I picked up an extra shift. Uh, normally I go into work at noon today. I went into work at 5am,
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. um, which is like fine in some ways because I want, I want them to change my schedule so that I work at 5am every day. Like I would rather be opening, but when, when you only work one opening shift, Among a whole week of closing shifts, it sucks ass.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All this to say, Thursday, I was so fucking sleepy.
1: Thursday, we were going to watch the movie. Oh, also Thursday, I woke up first thing in the morning. Uh, Oh, yeah, you've been trying to deal with, like, license plates and shit. I had to go to the DMV. Well, I had to go to the Illinois Secretary of State office. Yes, um, we don't
2: have DMVs in
1: yeah. in Chicago. I've been calling it the DMV because it's what it is. But yeah, I went to the Illinois Secretary of State office. That was a whole thing. They had to run a background check on me because in my um, driver's license photo from a few years ago, I look like a guy. I have a beard. I have short hair. And that was not the person that they were looking at in front of them. And so they thought I was trying to do identity theft. They had to. It was a whole fucking mess. And then I had to go to like, that was the Secretary of State. Then I had to go to like the Chicago City Clerk's office to get another thing. And then I went grocery shopping and I made dinner and it was a whole fucking mess. Anyway, I get over here. We're gonna watch the movie. It's like fifteen minutes in. I'm about to fall asleep, and I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. We waited it a half hour. No, 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 no. What oh, happened? Yeah. Here's what happened: is that fifteen minutes in, I'm like, I'm gonna fall asleep. No. I can't fall asleep. It's going to mess up our plans. I will stay strong. I will stay awake. And then about five minutes later, after I started having this thought, you paused the movie to see where we were at. And I just like all the color, all the life, just everything just fell out of your face as you realized, oh, no. Oh, I'm going to fall asleep.
2: (laughs) I want to go to bed in like a half hour. Yeah. Yeah. I went to bed later than I wanted to in that moment because I had to drive you home.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you had not had to drive me home, you would have gone. You would have just paused the movie and gone to bed.
2: Bro You would yeah. not have
1: said goodbye to me. No, I would have said goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that didn't happen Thursday. And then it was we were supposed oh. to watch it tonight. In yeah. addition
2: to all that, I also had a really big meeting on uh, Friday morning that I had to like prepare for. Right. So that was also part of it.
1: Yeah. And then we were supposed to watch the movie tonight, <clears throat> and we were both just exhausted. You took... We probably...
2: To... Yeah, we probably could have done it, but... We
1: could We could have... We could have made it happen. We could have made a cup of coffee and got it done.
2: And the real thing is, like... There, there's one other thing here that actually just makes postponing stuff a week yeah. um, better in the long term, which is that we have stuff all planned out for doing all of these lynch movies.
3: Mhm.
2: The the week that it, it would now be, well, before we did this one week postpone. Yeah. Uh the week where we were going to do both Blue Velvet and Laura two movies. Yeah. Is also the anniversary like my wedding anniversary with Emily. Yeah. Where like uh Got Thursday you. night we're going to a concert. Uh Friday night I think we're going to go to get dinner. I still don't know if Emily did the reservation change but like and then you're like working all weekend yeah. and stuff so yeah and
1: usually I... I have like friday and maybe saturday off and that weekend i have or that week i have like tuesday off which i've never had tuesday off in like the last 2 years i don't know why they gave me tuesday of all days yeah it's fun. i do know why i actually we had a conversation about it it's chill but it's like why
2: yeah <laughs> And so I was, like, trying to figure out how to make everything work, which... So then next weekend, Connor's going to visit as well. Right. So we have, like, we're going to record Ghost Divers all together to do the Question Bucket. And I'm probably, like, I'll be hanging out with Connor... Yeah. ...during the weekend. Um, which then meant, like, if we were going to make this work... Basically, I took off next Thursday for Maupin, mm-hmm. the 22nd. Um, and it would just be like, oh... Like, literally the entire day I took off, I would just be working on podcasts where we would, like, watch Dune, record, then watch Laura so that we would have it watched so that the next week we can, like, watch and record in the same night or whatever. Right. All of it just felt like...
1: Too much. Yeah.
2: It was just, like, all of my free time, including a day I took off of work, is, like... Yeah. Is filled up now. Yes. So... So... um, This... We can just finish the elephant, man. Whenever we went to him, then
1: yeah, yeah, do <laughs> the an other, episode. And the other thing is, got
2: some breathing room.
1: First 20 to 30 minutes of Elephant Man, very good, very interesting. Excited to watch more of it. It's a slow, slow movie, as,
2: it's slow as hell. When you're extremely tired from a long week, um, you're just not staying focused on that. No,
1: no, yeah. I briefly floated watching, like, a Jackie Chan movie or Female Prisoner Scorpion. <clears throat> um, and we definitely thought about it, like, "Oh, exciting movie to get the blood pumping. But then I was like, let's just record. Let's just get this one off our plates. Yeah. You know. Um, so, I watched a bunch of movies. You watched a bunch of David Lynch's short films from before Eraserhead.
2: Yeah, there's two that I didn't get to because of the aforementioned meeting on Friday and then a bunch of meetings after that meeting. Then. Yeah. So, I was hoping to watch it yesterday and didn't.
1: But yeah, we're it's just going to be easier. I'm going to go through my movies, you're going to go through your short films. We've got some questions. I have some stuff in my head that we could just totally talk about that has like nothing to do with any of this if we really want to yeah. pad for time. Or there's no crime against a short stairwells. A short stairwells is still going to be 90 minutes, I bet.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: First. Oh, hey. Yeah. When we do Ghost Divers, are you going to join us for uh, Pondering Pouton? Sure. Okay.
1: Oh, ponder Pouton.
2: Yeah, it's right there. You can read the chapter.
1: Yeah.
3: Wh- which, I mean, not which right chapter now. Is it? No, which chapter is it?
2: Um, so, Connor and I are recording the next one Monday, which is going to be Sentimental Bus. So, it'll be Taxi.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Chapter 9.
1: Okay, so, let me see here. Itaka Takinuchi, currently the boss of Cromarty's first year class. No one is more respected when it comes to fighting ability. No one can hold a candle to him. Nobody gets in his way, not even third year <laughs> students. Despite that, he has one weakness, and that is, he is predisposed to become motion sick very easily. But it ain't got nothing to do with how tough... <laughs> he looks like the fucking kingpin.
2: Yeah. They definitely have fun with, like, things about teenage... Like, this style of shounen stuff about teens where nobody looks like they're a teen.
1: I really love the just very... Oh, there's Freddy. Um,
2: I like the really,
1: like, square, boxy um, page layouts. Yeah. It's it's just very uniform, four tiers. A thing that... um,
2: I don't think it's, like... Super adhering to it, but I think that I kind of realized with the four tiers here mm-hmm. when we were doing the like episode where we actually really did break it down is that I think it does actually have a certain like yonkoma, like
1: oh, yeah, totally pattern to it. It's interesting how, um, I think in American comics, um, because the three tiered um, layout is so dominant throughout all of like uh, American comics, um, four tiers is seen as like um, slowing down. I remember I I first got a because uh, I don't know fuck about shit when it comes to art. Um, I, I first became sort of aware of like tearing and page layouts through an article that was sort of like ah oh, here's one of the things that make David David Malicelli's art in Batman Year One so interesting is that he employs this four-tiered layout that sort of slows you down, makes you appreciate the page more than like fast-paced, three-tiered, like Jack Kirby-style stuff. Um, meanwhile, I pop open a manga, and anytime I see four tiers on a page layout, I'm like, oh, this is a comedy. You know? Like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to read through this. Bam, 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 bam.
2: Yeah. And I do think that like there's more slowing down than a lot of like young four mm-hmm. fork coma yeah. stuff. Um, with Cromartie High School, because you'll often get it broken down into, like, two, Mm -hmm. um, panels and things like that with the tiers. But I do think it's still kind of, often will roughly follow that on each page, and then you kind of get, like, a broader thing going.
1: One of the things, um, do you ever read My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness? Yeah. One of the things... I liked that book the first time I read it, and then the second time I did not care for it because um, it has the exact same layout on every page, yeah. in a way that felt so monotonous, and I was like constantly waiting for something to break it up, and it just yeah. never really, never really happened. Um, um, I would I would like to read um, my solo uh, my solo exchange diary, maybe maybe her art not not gets better but like maybe she introduces a little more variation into the art i i i hope you know? yeah um
2: her stuff is interesting in that like i've enjoyed it i think i have a i know i have um like two or three mm-hmm. of her things like I, I bought ones of um uh, but i also feel like there's like a certain I don't know, I feel like it gets talked up in a way where I'm like, eh. Yeah. It's, it's another comic, like. Yeah. Uh, and th- there's, I... a, there's a certain amount to which I'm trying to find, like, the best word to describe it. hmm But, like, there's a, there's a, like, maybe, like, inexperience that runs throughout it. And I mean that both in terms of, like, it is very specifically about, like, really early grappling with, like, coming to queerness in a way that's actually not going to dig into some of the meat that I care about more now as Uh someone who's, like, out and has transitioned and has been living like this for years. Right. Um, And so I think that's part of it. And then also there's a certain amount to which, like, I feel like she got popular really big with, like, early work. Yes. And her, some of her stuff feels like early work in a way where, like, oh, I see promise in this, and, like, if she keeps doing stuff, I could see it ending up really good, but also I'm wondering if she's getting so much attention for this now that it's going to, like... Hamper st- her. Yeah, it's going to hamper her, like, actually growing into... Yeah. ...developing, like, a, a more complex or nuanced style.
1: Well, it's weird because, like, um, maybe my perspective is skewed by... Growing up in the like web comics era, you know? Yeah. But in Western comics, there is a v- decades, like way before web comics, a decades long tradition of like auto-bio diary comics from, you know, Harvey Picard, Alison Bechdel, you know, even R. Crum, um, like, into like, you know, sort of interesting stuff like Hark a Vagrant in the webcomics era sort of blending diary comics and fiction and all these things um, it was like a very established form in western comics and I'm I'm sure that a lot of those comics also exist in Japan and probably don't get translated I'm sure that stuff like this exists over there and just doesn't cross over in this way and I think maybe, <clears throat> I think maybe my lesbian experience hit because for a certain queer manga reading audience, they're not familiar with like diary comics in this way, possibly, yeah. um, or or they're f- only familiar with it through like um, web comics, and and this evokes this definitely evokes a lot of web comics stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it hits that audience in a certain way. Where, like, I read Fun Home when I was 14, and it just kind of fucked me up. <laughs> to where I read My Lesbian Experience, I was like, this is weak sauce.
2: Yeah, well, I think the other thing... And this is a thing with a lot of, like, that webcomic style, um, which I think she may have even started doing. Oh, had, I, I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, this, like... But, yeah, this, like, webcomic style diary comic that happens in... Um, my lesbian experience with loneliness and my solo exchange diary, which is like, I, I pulled up, I was just looking at pages from, um, I think this is my solo exchange diary where it's like here, this is panel of like, um, uh, my breathing was sluggish too. So it was hard to breathe my chest hurt. And then the picture is like having trouble breathing. And yeah. then like, I felt like I was made out of holes and the picture is like her made out of holes with like Swiss cheese. And, yeah. And I, I, as someone who's read a number of things like this, I like when there's actually more juxtaposition where you will get um, this text that will maybe be expressing something and then you get like this visualization of another thing happening. Mm-hmm. And then like within the ten- the tension of the text and then what you're seeing, like you d- develop more meaning rather than having like here's the visual image I have and the text is just going to like reiterate yeah. it. Well, it-, it. It's it's more interesting when it's like, you know, Oh, I felt in that moment like I didn't have a home. And then you have, like, something that's expressing some other way that that feels beyond just, like, I didn't have a home. You
1: know, Like, I just grew up on webcomics people who, like, read Scott McCloud and and got a WordPress, you know? Um, And so we're sort of interested in the sort of, like, what if... What if image and, and word contradicted? How are the interesting ways we can juxtapose this? Which is just not what... Uh, and I'm not trying to demean Kabi as a creator in, yeah. in any way. I just think it's not what her interest is. I think she is interested in the sort of like literal, like, just telling you what happens sort of thing. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, this is... Yeah. It's been Have a you... while since I've read this. I I've, Yeah. I have not super duper read this, but I've, I've bumped into like some of these comics.
2: Um, yeah, I think like, uh, we should tell. The I yeah. think is how you, you say your name. Um, that's
1: but, Tess S C I L I P O T I.
2: Yes. Um, and so some of these do have this part where it's like, you know, I still have a fantasy that I'd fall in love with a girl and get married in a church. And it's like, this but you also get more of a sense of like oh i'm walking through a space and seeing a church and then thinking about how i had this fantasy rather than it just showing you the fantasy in the same way yeah like uh and then there's moments where it will start like the image will start going further into um some sort of abstraction like here yeah at the end and some of that stuff just like hits more for me yeah so uh, the one that I pulled up was barren because this is one that uh, fucked me up a lot before I actually managed to have a kid. Mm-hmm. But um, still, kind of fucks me up. But yeah, yeah. Um,
1: that was a anyway. weird digression.
2: Yeah, I asked you <laughs> if you were going to join for pondering Putin, and we started talking about all that.
1: <laughs> well, you can find us online. <laughs> No, I'll talk about uh, the no Frozen
2: that. Two. Whoop! I banged it. Whatever. <laughs> I I I hit the mic. I think that came through. Anyway,
1: I can't tell if this hair in front of my face is supposed to be on the left side or the right side, and it's kind of making me nuts. Anyway, mm,
2: I think I think it's on the correct side now.
1: Um. Yeah. So Frozen Two. I just podcasted about it this afternoon. Um, with Nora. Um.
2: I have seen this probably multiple times because I've had multiple, like, you know, nieces and nephews who really like Frozen. Um, I don't remember much about it at all, except that I remember them, like, writing an additional childhood backstory for both of the girls or something. Okay. I feel like it's a thing that people complain about a lot in media that frozen in particular probably solidified as so, a thing
1: people don't like. Okay, I wasn't going to talk about it. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I didn't I I kind of got this out of my system on Pop Town, but not fully. So I'll I'll get into it here. So I am not bothered by we added more backstory yeah. to that doesn't phase me. Sure, it's a sequel we focus tested and found that people really liked the bit where Anna and Elsa were kids, and so we added a bit where Anna and Elsa were kids. People always have... There's more shit in
2: everyone's past that you probably haven't heard of, and you would think would have informed a previous interaction, but it still didn't come up because they didn't want to fucking talk about
3: it at the time. Or whatever. The thing
1: that is weird about Frozen 2 is that the secret... the, The backstory reveal here... Okay... So, there there was a war um, before Anna and Elsa were born between the people of Arendelle, who are sort of this very Nordic-European people, and the people of Northuldra, who are... Sami people. Yes, coded as, like, um, Native American people.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Specifically, this is,
2: like, actually referencing the, the, like... Very real subjugation of native Sami people in, like, Finland by Swedish people. Okay. Good to know. I... Um, a lot of those, like, they're, they're, there's a long history of, like, re-educating Sami children to, like, speak, like, here's Swedish, speak Swedish now and stuff.
1: So, like, one of the threads of this movie is Anna and Elsa learn more about this war, learn that their, um, their grandfather on their father's side, um, so the king of Arendelle, um, like, tricked the North Aldra people in order to subjugate them and, you know, make them, you know, subservient. Um, and it is this very, like, it is trying to convey to children, and this is a weird thing to convey to children, but, like, the feeling of Ooh, I got older. I went to a high school history class and I realized my white ancestors did some fucked up things and I have to process that feeling. You know? Yeah. So much of the movie, so much of the movie, like literally speaking, is like, um, about getting older and because it is like sort of targeted to you watched Frozen when you were five to 12. Now you are, you know, 10 to 18. Um, let's talk about a problem that you're having. So. Uh, so the sort of subtext becomes you found out about like hi- uh, world history <laughs> and you felt like, huh? Like, oh, someone in my family owned slaves or, you know, what have you. Yeah. Um, and you you feel fucked up about that. And you have to process that feeling. It's a weird, the movie does not tackle this elegantly in any way, and I think it is, like, a weird thing to try and, like, half-ass making your point about. The other thing that happens in this movie, sort of, somewhat independently, but also not, is that it is revealed that Anna and Elsa are mixed race, and this just solves all the problems. They're mixed race, and so now the people of Arendelle and the people of Aldra just accept them, Without asking any questions, without <laughs> making any requests, without, it's fine now. They're mixed race, and so literally everyone has forgotten about the past and has forgiven everything. It's chill. And that's like 30 minutes into the movie. There's yeah. like another hour of like other stuff happening, but 30 minutes into the movie, it is like, oh, well, they're mixed, and so it's fine. It's weird. It's fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> it is a complicated and messy racial politics that like <laughs> Yeah. We feel this white guilt, but also 20 minutes ago we felt absolved of that white guilt because we found out we were mixed race. <laughs> yeah. Not not to mention the weirdness of like countless white people across the centuries being like oh well i'm 116th um cherokee and so it's fine for me to say blah 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 racist thing you know
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's all it's out of my system now anyway somehow f for this f for the stairs F. Which I remember in the first one, there is like a staircase made out of ice that Elsa goes up while yeah, singing. It's pretty sick. They fucked
1: up. Yeah. F. F. I was looking. They fucked up. I was searching for the stairs.
2: Tell me about Excalibur.
1: Um. Okay, I should have pulled up the tweet before, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. Do you want to vamp for me while I find the tweet?
2: No. I'm just gonna let you flounder.
1: Okay. Um, well, it's from our friend um, Jackson. Heads fall off.
2: I did that <laughs> on purpose.
1: <laughs> Heads fall off. Yeah. Um, King tweet.
2: It's it's head falls
1: off. I I am aware. Yeah.
2: For the listeners who may not be aware,
1: all right, start from start from the top. Uh, ask me about Excalibur.
2: You okay? Take two. Definitely editing this? Yeah. Oh, that's going out.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: So tell me about Excalibur.
1: Me. I am fundamentally opposed to the monarchy and the church's ruling powers. History is a record of their atrocities. My therapist. That's fair. Me. But I love it when the king when the chosen king reclaims his divine sword and leads his army in glorious battle. My therapist. Who doesn't? <laughs> B plus for stairs. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> in all seriousness um so Nora and I talked about it on not the Pop Town we just recorded not the Pop Town before that but the Pop Town before that we <laughs> um, all did Pop Town a lot we did three Pop Towns in seven days yeah I don't know that the Frozen 2 the Frozen 2 one will be up by the time that this podcast is out but I don't think it's up as we rec- as we've recorded this anyway um Excalibur, I talked about it on Pop Town There's also a repertory screenings that I think Covers most of what I would want to say about it Um That movie's just Fun, you know Um Did you talk about the the reflections And the armor on Pop Town? I did, I did okay. talk about It's really fucking distracting There's like one bit Because, okay, if you don't Listen to if you don't listen to Pop Town Funk, a $5 podcast on the Export Audio Network, I will tell you one thing that I talked about when we watched Excalibur, which, by the way, that is not an Excalibur episode. It's an Excalibur
2: I feel like you talk about it more than whatever the main... Yeah, Rock I do Rock and Roll High School? Was that the... Yes. One? Yes. It's the,
1: it's the Joey Ramone episode of Pop Town Funk. Yeah,
2: titled something like, One of the Ramones, I Don't Care, or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> On that episode, we talk about Excalibur. We talk about Sartana, which I talked about last time. Um, it, 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 this one thing I'll t- I'll spoil. You get this little free treat if you don't listen to Pop Town. Um, is that in Excalibur, all the characters are always wearing their like big heavy plate mail armor, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which means that I, as the weirdo I am was watching the movie and just constantly being like, that's a studio light. That's a studio light. Because there's no way to stop studio lights from reflecting on big silver armor. Yeah. <laughs> it's why most people don't shoot big silver armor. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the most part, it's fine. I think they do a lot of interesting stuff with that. Um, and I get into that on the podcast. But there was something that Nora interrupted me from saying, and so I'll finish that thought here. Which is, there's one scene where Arthur is talking to Guinevere, and there's a moment where he turns and faces the camera, like, you can see his full chest, and you can literally see, all, like, the camera and the crew and everybody, and it's so fucking funny. <laughs> That's it. Um, Excalibur, really good movie. Um, B plus for Stairs. It's been like a week and a half since I watched this movie and so I don't really recall why I gave it a B+. Plus. I do recall like why, why I gave it a B+. Plus. So, Percival uh, goes and he's seeking the grail and he sees the grail in a like sort of David Lynch video effect at the top of the stairs basically. It's like there's like a normal shot of stairs.
2: That's my cellar door. <laughs> David Lynch video effect.
1: <laughs> and he's like, it's just like a normal shot of stairs. And then somebody just sort of put like a transparent grail layer in Photoshop over the stairs, basically.
3: Yeah.
1: Um And so I was, I gave it a B plus because it's really good. The stairs look great. The grail looks great. But like, no one ascends the stairs. And so I was like, I'm not giving you an A if no one walks up the stairs to get the grail. Come yeah. on. Come on! Yeah.
2: That's like how the Fate games... I don't know anything about Fate still. I have so many evil, so many friends who have played Fate and I don't know anything about Fate. I'm sorry.
1: Next movie I watched. um, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Molly and I were hanging out and we were like, let's watch something...
2: You As not know. I will I will spoil this because the the fun would be surprising you, mm. but you've now already seen mm-hmm. that I have all of the Tokyo Drift movies, That's or not funny. all the Tokyo, all the Fast and <laughs> Tokyo Drift is the best one. All the Fast Saga, I'm very tired. Yeah, um, all the Fast Saga movies, like ready to go, just next week while I'm at work, You're just, just going to be, be watch. watching them. Hell so. Yeah. Uh, Next Stairwells, I might just be talking about the entire Fast Saga.
1: So Molly and I, we just were like, hey, you want to watch a movie? Let's watch a movie. What do you want to watch? Well, let's pick something that's on streaming so that we can just, like, both watch it, not have to download anything. Um, Oh, you know, I've never seen Tokyo Drift. Okay, I guess we're watching Tokyo Drift now. Um, For the record, I have seen... I have now seen the first three Fast and the Furious movies. Molly wanted me to watch Fast Five. And Molly, before watching it with me, did not like Tokyo Drift. She thought that movie was boring. And so she was like, I just want to watch Fast Five because that's her favorite one. But that was not on HBO Max. Tokyo Drift was. So we watched Tokyo Drift. Um, I think I got Molly to come around on that movie because that movie fucking rocks. That movie's really good. <laughs> that movie it's my, my favorite Fast good. and the Furious movie. That's it's so
2: good. For for multiple reasons. One is that I've just seen it so many times. Because mm-hmm. it's like so for like friend uh, of mine, Alex, who does swim fans, likes the uh a bunch of the Fast and the Furious movies as well. Um m- most of the ones that I've seen in theaters I went with Alex to see. Um sometimes also with Carlos of Heroes Three and other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um and definitely the favorite of his and mine is Tokyo Drift. It fucking um, rocks. There were I don't think it ever got finished, but there was a, at one time Alex was working on a gift for Carlos that was uh, like bootleg DVDs of all of the Fast and Furious movies that existed up to that, until that point, where he was doing commentary tracks that you could turn on with different friends, and so I did the one with Tokyo Drift. Um, <laughs> And part of the, the joke was that I was coming on as the Persona 4 correspondent. Uh, Tokyo Drift, <laughs> of course, being, uh, the film adaptation of Persona 4. Yeah, sure. Yeah, where someone moves to a small town, you know, goes to another town in, in, uh, uh-huh. Japan and has to, you know, figure out, lives with your cop uncle, gotta mm. figure out how to, how to survive and, you know, Make friends.
1: I just love that.
2: I fucking love So I love Tokyo Drift because I love his Out of water stories.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Also, I just know a bunch of the lines from it. One of yeah. my favorites being, which I've said to you multiple times: first, you rip that e-brake or that handbrake, <laughs> then you pow on it. Um, and then the other thing is that it's very funny that most charismatic person in the entire movie, Han. Yeah. Spoilers for Tokyo Drift.
1: Dies. Han dies.
2: Yes. Um, I have
1: a funny thing to say about this.
2: Yeah. But of course, you don't want to lose him as an actor. So they decide that he's going to become a part of the main series. Mm -hmm. But then all of those have to be set before Tokyo Drift. And then finally, the main series caught up with Tokyo Drift, where you see in one of the other movies, the moment where Han dies and now Bama Boy, the actor who plays Bama Boy, has to do new scenes where he is significantly older but still has to play like a teenager.
1: But also he's like 30
2: playing a teenager in that movie yes, to begin already. with. Already. And so now he's just like 40 <laughs> playing a teenager. It's fucking
1: hilarious. <laughs> um, So funny thing about Han. I had probably heard that Han died. I probably had heard that. But I certainly did not recall it at least until like later in the movie, like right before it happens, I remembered, basically. Yeah. Um, but like, so he's introduced, um, and it's like, oh, that's gonna be Bama Boy's new best friend. I was like, okay, sure. And then he like first starts talking, and the first time he like gets one of these scenes because he gets like two or three of these scenes. I was like. It's kind of weird that, like, they go to Tokyo and introduce Han as the sort of, like, warrior poet character. Yeah. (laughs) You know? I'm like, that's weird. But then that scene's really good. And then the next two times that he, like, does the, like, what are we really racing for? we're not racing to prove how we're faster than the other guy. We're racing to prove something to ourselves. Like second or third time he does it. I'm like, this is the best character in any of these yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this guy.
2: <laughs> the other thing is I just like Justin Lin's stuff. And this is his first mm-hmm. um, fast and furious movie.
1: Um, And it was like the second time he does his whole like warrior poet thing. I was like, oh, this character's gonna die, huh? And Molly's Molly just cracks up. She, like, totally gives it away. And then, like... And, like, the scene before he dies, I was like, oh, right, I have heard that he dies. Yeah. But I certainly did not recall that when I was like, oh, this character, hes this guy's fucking dead. <laughs> this guy yeah. is, You do not like, get to, like, wax poetic like this and then also make it out of the movie alive. <laughs> the other thing I
2: love about this movie is that uh, it starts out as, like, oh, we're just going to do a side story in the Fast and the Furious, like, franchise, and it's kind of just allowed to be its own thing. Uh-huh. And there's a little, like... Cute nod where Vin Diesel shows up at the end and yeah. it's like, oh, let's race, and you're like, oh, yeah. he's from the main series, but none of it matters. Mm-hmm. But then they they really like the actor who's playing, huh? I mean, he, like, I think that that actor is yeah. like best friends with Justin Lin because he's in a bunch of Justin Lin stuff. Oh, does he? Um, and so I think that's also part of it.
1: Um, and so I don't know what he's done besides the Fast and the Furious stuff. Yeah, let me. Um. So like, there's one
2: that he did that's a, a kind of a comedy about. Um, let me pull this up. Hanoi, played by Sung Kang.
1: Yeah. Um. Let me see if I can find the filmography for Justin Lin. Better luck tomorrow. I've heard of that. Um, Um, is that the one the name oh he did star trek beyond yeah he's also a executive producer on space jam a new legacy oh he did a couple episodes of um community he did a couple really good episodes of community oh he did an episode of um true detective i don't know if that's one of the good seasons of true detective
2: oh this is the one that i was thinking of Finishing the game you should watch if you haven't seen. Okay. I have not. Uh it's a mockumentary, it's like a joking documentary about them trying to finish Game of Death, Bruce Lee's final movie. Oh, and no, so no, they're no. trying to find like a a Bruce Lee impersonator to finish the movie. Um very funny. And yeah, Sun Kang shows up in that too. Okay. I'll watch Um that. as one of the Bruce, Bruce Lee impersonators. Yeah. So um yeah, I enjoyed that. It's been a while since I've watched it but um, I enjoyed it. Uh, but anyway... Yeah, then they decide that they like that actor... And they want to have Han mm-hmm. in the series... But they've killed him. Yeah. And so they have to... Like, put him in... And then they have to, like, build in Tokyo Drift as an important part of the franchise when like it was fully constructed and conceived of being a side thing. That's just a fun (laughs) little thing that they're doing. So it's so funny that this like movie that I like because of how much it is just allowed to be its own little thing in this like universe um then has to become a really important movie because now we've like built up this character so much that his death has to be significant you uh-huh. know in, in a way that like extends far beyond the movie that it originally happened in. I just think that's fascinating and funny.
1: I thought one thing that I thought that Tokyo Drift was gonna do because this is like so much of like what the movie is about in a lot of ways is that I thought at the end, He's racing the guy whose name I forget. DK? DK. Yes. Donkey Kong? <laughs> no, Drift King. <laughs> um, he's racing DK and he's losing and or he like starts to win and then DK starts to drive dirty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're live streaming all of this on their flip phones. It's very funny. Um, and what i thought was going to happen cuz this would have been really appropriate for what the movie is set up so far i think is that bama boy was going to lose the race but then um like the yakuza uncle was going to be like dk you have driven dishonorably have di- i'm i'm d- dqing you from the race because of how you've you know conducted yourself um But no, no, Bama Boy just wins and it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Stairs. I have a question for you about the stairs. Yeah. Does it count to drift up a parking garage thing? Does the parking garage, like, spiral ramp, does that count?
2: (sighs) I mean, it's the closest to stairs that a car is going to get. Right. That's without having saying. a part where like a car drives down like, yeah. a big, you know, public
3: staircase.
1: Yeah. Because there's just, there's just not, I was looking for stairs. I definitely, I remember saying stairs a couple times, but nothing really jumped out at me as like, oh, those are the stairs, you know? Yeah. There would have been stuff we could have used if we were doing an episode about Tokyo Drift. But nothing that was like, oh my gosh. Unless you count drifting up... Here's the reason I want to count it. Yeah. Here's the reason. I'm going to make my argument here. I feel like it doesn't count, but also I want to allow it. (laughs) Here's my argument. Is that in the first scene where this spiral thing appears... You get DK perfectly, smoothly drifting up. It mm-hmm. and it looks gorgeous. It looks so sexy as he drifts up the thing. And then you get Bama Boy just, like, crashing his car into the sides. And you're conveying in this moment, like, his hubris. He thought he could just, like, come in here as the American and just show them how it's done. Um, and he he's humbled in this moment. Yeah. Um, he has
2: to go up. The spiral of the parking garage To face the consequences Yes Yeah
1: And what That's in the spirit of the stairwell scene
2: Yeah If We've allowed ladders before
1: We've allowed ladders
2: And so And it does have the thing that I think In our heart has disqualified elevator scenes Which is that elevator scenes Do not have visual on-screen motion In a direction Yes an elevator, more- an elevator, an elevator scene—you only know if it's going up or down based purely on the. You might get slight indications from the way people will, like jostle, yeah. but you basically only know from the arrows.
1: Yeah, where what is what is a more beautiful expression of motion than the drift?
2: Yeah, and I think we've considered ramp, like we've counted ramps before, for people like running up them.
1: Yeah, I think we have. I'm going to say it counts. I'm going to give it an, F, an S then. It's fucking sick when he drifts up
2: that ramp. Are you fucking kidding me? Because so, I don't think we've ever had one of these that has hit S level, except maybe we were uh, too foolhardy in our youth when we started this podcast and gave an S to the ladder in Metal Gear Solid 3. Yeah. But do we want to at least do the role that it's an A+. plus? It's not sure. an S. You didn't give us stairs.
1: Sure. I'll give it an we're, A+. Plus. We're,
2: we're doing a little I'll bit settle. of a bending. I'll
1: settle. A+. Yeah. plus.
2: It's like, it's like, look, you did a really good job at meeting most of the brief, but the, the project that we did set, like the coursework here was doing a stairwell Mm -hmm. and you were really clever. You did a lot of the stuff that I want. I'm still going to give you a good grade, but I just can't give you that final
1: point because you didn't
2: do stairs.
1: Hey, I had a question that crossed my mind earlier. What? Do you think that we've recorded more episodes in St. Louis or in Chicago? Like, I when think... I was in St. Louis or then? Don't I look, think, don't look. I think, because, ooh, I think Chicago. So, our...
2: Because you moved Thanksgiving, which we're yes. coming up on. Yes. And then there were one, maybe two episodes before that that we recorded in Chicago?
1: So there was the um, "I Carry You With Me" episode slash, yeah, Um Red Peony Gambler. Um, then there, there is, is
2: the bonus episode with Nausea.
1: Oh right, I was, I was gonna I was gonna say Dragon Inn, but that's like a weird one. We finished that movie when I was in St. Louis, so. But. Goodbye, Dragon Inn is our, is the last one. That's episode 22. Let's say that all 22 before that were recorded in St. Louis. We've now done 55 episodes, so that's 33 in Chicago to 22 in St. Louis. That's weird to think yeah. about. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, I was in Chicago for all of them. Well, sure. <laughs> anyway, um, next up. Is DeFly. I don't know why I decided to say it like that. I just <laughs> wanted to put some. DeFly!
2: DeFly! <laughs> I don't even remember what movie that's from. I just remember my dad would quote it all the DePlane. De plane." Do you even know what I'm referring no. to? No. Um, let me see if I can like, find this. Um, tattoo on Fantasy Island? It's a US TV show. Anyway, I'll show you this to you later. My dad quoted this constantly. I thought it was a movie. <laughs> um
1: So <clears throat> I wanted to watch a movie. I wanted to not pay attention to a movie. I wanted like I wanted ambient noise and I wanted it to not be Star Trek basically. Yeah. And you're like, what if some
2: of it is like weird gurgles and buzzing sounds and things?
1: And so I put on the fly on my tablet and I kind of regret not giving the fly my full undivided attention because I feel like it did hurt the movie to not actually pay attention to it like that. Because so much of that movie is just seeing it. Yeah. And I mean, I was paying attention for all the special effects shots. Yeah. Like any FX shot, I was like tuned in. It's just that I was Tuned out whenever, like, you know, they were talking about if they should abort the fly baby or whatever. Yeah. Um. Regardless, that movie's fucking rocks. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fly, dude. It's good. It's fucking good as hell. It's no Videodrome, but what is? Yeah. I don't. Is that controversial? I feel like people generally like the Fly better than Videodrome. I haven't seen a lot of people really love videodrome. Okay. I haven't seen videodrome in like over 10 years, but it is like videodrome like got into my brain and like changed my taste in cinema to some I
2: extent. I think my favorite Cronenberg movie might be Crash, but mm-hmm. it's kind of outside of like what I associate him with, which is not that there isn't some stuff that's like getting into his his bread and butter of body horror. But it's doing something a little bit different. That's part of what I really appreciate about it. But when you're doing like this is a David Cronenberg body horror movie that's going to have weird practical effect body horror stuff on screen, right? Like The Fly is like the purest of like it's you're just getting a bunch of that. You're just seeing the slow transformation and the yeah. That was my effects. thing. Was the... but Videodrome has more going on.
1: Yeah, is that I think generally the the effects in um the fly are better, more interesting, more just gross in in the yeah. way you want. Um nothing in the fly is scary like Videodrome is and nothing in the fly is thoughtful like Videodrome is, you know? Yeah. And and, and I should also be clear. I have seen I've now seen The Fly, Videodrome and one time I saw A History of Violence and I didn't really pay attention to it because I was 13 or something. Yeah. Um I'm not familiar with Cronenberg like this. I would I would like to become more familiar cuz the the two movies of his that really made an impression on me, both The Fly and Videodrome. Fucking rock. I so I would like to yeah. watch more of his movies, but um I I I feel like I've done the hits now and now it's yeah. like yeah, obviously, he has a lot Have more... Have you seen
2: Crash? No. You should Crash. watch Crash.
1: Yeah, obviously, he has, like, a lot more, like, popular movies, but I feel like I've crossed off the two, like, big ones, you know? And now it's just like, oh, I can just go to, like, what interests me. I, 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 Crash interests me because U and M and Destiny like it so much. I think Jackson likes it. I don't remember. Um, and, like, Exist Ends interests me because I hear... Very divided opinions on if that movie's good or not. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. I'm going to spend a little more time bouncing around with Cronenberg. Probably going to rewatch Video Drum because, like I say, it's been 10 plus years. Yeah, I'm due for a rewatch too. Yeah. We, we can just... watch that tomorrow. We could watch that tomorrow. You're going to record. We could just watch Video Drum. Yeah. The movie's great. The movie's great. Anyway. Um, not much to say about The Fly, really. I don't, I don't have anything to add. I don't think the story of The Fly is that interesting. Like, I just think that, like... It
2: really is just the special effects for that movie.
1: I think They're great.
2: They make that movie.
1: The, the thing that was interesting about the story in that movie is that this, like, poor young woman just getting, like, tennis balled back and forth between the two just most wretched men in human history. Yeah. Um, just... Jeff Goldblum and other guy are just two total scumbags. And it sucks that she seemingly doesn't have any friends or like she doesn't speak to any women in the movie. And I was ho- desperately hoping for one scene of her just being like, man, am I right? <laughs> but no, she just kind of goes back and forth between these two scumbags and, and yeah. then she shoots one of them, which is pretty good. It is pretty good. Um, anyway. Last movie I watched, Henry V. Um, Really interesting movie until it's not. Um, Luckily, Shakespeare really saves the day by just writing a hell of a script. (laughs) So, like, the first... This is specifically Laurence Olivier's 1944 um, production of Henry V. Commissioned by Winston Churchill, shot in on allegedly the only Technicolor camera in all of England at the time. Because um, it's fucking 1944. Yeah. Specifically to, um, like, rouse the British spirit as they get... Like, we know we're on the last stretch of this war, we just gotta take it home, you know? Yeah. Um. So, and uh, Olivier, you know, delivers that. But the... And we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute but the interesting part of this movie is that it opens on a really gorgeous like shot of like old timey London town um yeah like in miniatures it's like you got the you got the Thames and um the Globe Theater and you see like all these houses across the river and you know it's a really gorgeous like miniature uh set and then the camera goes down into the globe, and you realize that you're not watching like a normal Henry V movie, uh, Throne of Blood. That just is like you've got samurai dudes riding around on horses, you know, doing the damn thing. Yeah. And you're not watching that. What you're watching is people putting on in 1600, um, like a production of Henry V and so like you see the stage you see the crowd you see the interplay between the stage and the crowd and you know how different theater was back then of like people cheered and booed and laughed and all these things whereas now was, well well now it is like a we're going <sighs> to be quiet yeah. and respectful and no one in this audience is fucking respectful at all. And, the, you know, at some point it starts fucking raining, and people leave because it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the Globe Theater. They don't have a dome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they have a globe.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, so that part I thought was really interesting, especially because in Shakespeare's script, you get um this guy who kind of comes out and says things like, Oh, you may see like a little a a little set, but imagine in your minds that we're riding our horses into France, you know. Um, Yeah. Like Shakespeare acknowledges the sort of like um, suspension of disbelief in theater in this play in an interesting way, and the in the the movies playing around with that, and it's really interesting. And then once the war starts and Henry goes to France, Henry played here by Laurence Olivier, giving a fucking excellent performance. Once like Henry goes to France to start the damn war, they do a really good shot as the camera zooms in on the like curtain they have to represent France. And then that curtain fades into like a a background painting of France. And it's like, Now the rest of the movie is going to be like Laurence Olivier riding around on horses surrounded by hundreds of like soldiers and giving rousing speeches. And like, you know, it's the same type of adaptation that Throne of Blood is. And it's not a sort of like, here's a a movie about a production of a play. It is just here is the story of Henry V. Like we've we've now melted away some of the artifice. Or have we added more artifice? Yeah. Who knows? Ooh, ooh. Very postmodern, Lawrence. Yeah. We're on a first name basis. I can call him Lawrence. Just like <laughs> me and Fishburne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And so I, I was kind of disappointed once the movie lost that aspect. And I thought it was really like cool production of it. Like I thought like all the... There's a lot of interesting stuff as like clearly fake sets become backgrounds and we're mixing sort of like some light location work with background paintings. And I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff happening there, you know, but I really missed the part where you were watching people put on a play. Like there's a bit in the first 20 minutes where the camera goes backstage and you see like. One of the actors is just, like, having himself, like, a lot of beer between scenes. And the other actor's like, fucking put that down. It's our cue, (laughs) you know? And you see, like, you know, um, Olivier about to enter um, as Henry V. And you see him sort of like, I'm going to do my breaths. And I'm going to get my posture right. Because I am the king now. You know, like, you see him preparing to play the role. I thought all that stuff was really interesting and I thought as that melted away I was just less invested um however all that said I got a little less invested and then act 4 of Henry V you know as the um, the two armies are sitting across the field and uh, like you get the french perspective of oh i you know i uh I can't wait for the morning. We're going to kill so many of the English bastards. And you get this sort of like, you go across the um, field to the English camp, and they're like, oh, we're all going to die tomorrow. Oh, we're fucked. And then Henry puts on his cloak and he goes and talks with the common soldiers and he does the Star Trek scene. Um, and um, it's fucking good. It's good yeah. as hell. Turns out Shakespeare is just a really fucking good writer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and Olivier is like a hell of a performer and he sells the shit out of that scene and he gives the St Crispin's Day speech the next morning and it's fucking incredible and eh, kind of loses its way at the end after the after the battle ends and there's just like I gotta I gotta marry because it's Shakespeare and we have to end on a marriage. Um, and it gets a little weak there but who cares? The actual thing you want the the, the, the battle on St Crispin's Day, sick as hell, it's why you showed up to the movie. You're ready to go, you know, support the war effort, buy some bonds, and you know, su- you know, kill the Nazis so that in didn- you can support the, you know, the rise of global fascism as the clo- Cold War begins. Let's not worry about that part yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only like it when
2: we do the fascism. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the, The things that you want to be good in this movie are good. I wish it had a little more of this other stuff that I found really interesting. Also, it would be fun if even as it blends more into we're
2: going to show you less of the stage and more of the movie, if it would continue to like break that in weird ways where you would start to get like a millennium actress, like you're there, but now there's someone scrambling, trying to like get on stage for their line, but it's like a giant field.
1: That would be fun. Yeah, like the. I wish it was going back and forth a little more. Also, at the end, I realized that the whole reason they make this like flip is so silly. the The whole movie has to switch into this other gear to make one scene work. And I don't. I, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical because. So, because it is a sixteen hundred, it is a production that is happening in sixteen hundred in the fiction of the yeah. film, right? Um, there are no actresses; there are only men in drag, um, in 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 the play, right? Yeah. And so, the movie really tries to sell the like big scene between uh, Henry and Catherine, um, and. In that scene, Catherine is played by a woman, and they do the big kiss, and they get married, and they go and sit on the thrones, and then it zooms out a little bit, and like that shot of them on the actual like throne of England and France fades out into um, Olivier and a dude in drag sitting on like thrones on the stage, basically, and you realize that the whole reason you couldn't do this from start to end is that you could not have Olivier kiss a man in drag in your, like, propaganda movie for 1944. Yeah. That's the whole reason they abandoned the premise of the movie. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Cowardly. Yeah, cowards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, pretty good
1: movie. Um, both Em and Camille told me I should check out the Branna version. I watched this because it was just easily available, but I did that on the Branna version. So, might watch that soon. Might watch a different Branna. I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna try
2: and watch some more of the Hamlet ones that we we're planning to watch.
1: I'm gonna try and watch and... the um, the Soviet one that you watched. Um, yeah, which by the way is just on YouTube. I was asking you. Like, okay. Cause you mentioned the King Lear one was on YouTube and so I decided to check if the Hamlet one was on YouTube and it is. Yeah.
2: So. Okay. <clears throat> um now I know what it's like to just be the one who's sitting there while the other person's watched a bunch of movies and talks about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the David Lynch short films.
2: Um <clears throat> so we'll we'll get this out of the way right at the top. F for all. All uh-huh. stairs. I don't think there's a single step Bullshit. in any of these. Bullshit. Um, the on, other David. thing I'll get out of the way... I'm going to run through all these a little bit. But um, if you... I There's two that I haven't watched that will... So all of these were before um, Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like the last two ones before Eraserhead I haven't seen. Because one of them is a half hour or something. It's the grandmother, I think. Mm-hmm. And that one I, didn't, I just didn't have the half hour to watch. And then I think the one after that's pretty short too. Mm-hmm. But of the ones I've seen so far... Um, I would say if you are interested in checking these out, the two good ones are Six Men Getting Sick, which is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, The video on YouTube is like four minutes. The actual piece is like a minute. Um, And it, it was specifically this thing around like, it would be interesting to have a sculpture, but the sculpture moves. Mm. And so I think it was an actual installation, and this is a recording of it, where stuff was projected onto... Like video is projected onto sculptures of of um, like men's heads, uh. um, and then it's like them getting sick and vomiting and stuff. And there's like a looping siren sound. Mm. I think it was like an installation thing you made, and it's just kind of interesting. It's like this weird thing that is like meant to sit in a space and loop, um, and so it's kind of fun for that. Mm. Um, it's a thing that's like feels distinctly different from a lot of other Lynch stuff, but also knowing that like basically the the earliest like film you can find of him is a recording of a weird art installation he did. Yeah. Has a certain amount of like, Oh yeah, this does like, I can see a certain lineage here, even if there's not something exactly like this and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, the other one I would recommend seeing is the alphabet and I'll get to that when I get to it. Um, uh, but I've just described six men and getting sick, uh, fictitious and acid commercial. Um, I think I accidentally put in extra A in here. Um, this one was not that great. It was basically, it's like, oh, there's a man who's like acting extremely intense, like, ah, uh, and then you get like the close up of the hand holding an acid, uh, or anison or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he takes it and feels better. It's like a commercial, but like everything's turned up a little. Right. In a way that is familiar was like a thing Lynch will become interested in is like taking something that's kind of corny, like a commercial, turning up some of the stuff where like the, oh, I'm in pain and then I took it and now I feel better. I'm going to have the in pain be like acting in weird demonic ways mm. and things, you know? Yeah. This is stuff he's going to do much better later on. Um, and here it's just a little too corny for me. Um, sailing with Bushnell Keeler This is just like he shot of On a sailboat with a friend I guess um, Okay it's, it's the most of just like Stuff's cut together Things are just kind of There's some editing arrangement that becomes more just about Oh I'm going to jump from this interesting shot To this one like the juxtaposition will be interesting Nothing in this is that Amazing or
1: now, while Interesting he's, for him While he's on the boat does somebody... There's no... There's no, like...
2: I, if you're going to say anything audio related, all the audio is just, like, post... Like,
1: no audio was recorded. So no one, like, gives him any coins, and then he, like... There's no. No, There's no flies buzzing.
2: No, we'll get to some of that stuff later. Okay. Um, absurd encounter with fear. There's some thematic stuff that I could kind of see, but... It, it was also like very um, clumsy in a way, where there's like a woman sitting in the field. There's this man who goes in. He walks up behind her, unzips his pants, and then just starts like pulling random objects out and throwing them on the ground, and then just suddenly like heels over and dies. And it's kind of weird and absurd. And but it's like getting at something that you can kind of see he'll become interested in, which is like weird depictions of you know. Chinoa. No, no quinoa. Damn it. <laughs> you're not getting any of these connections yet.
1: <laughs> um, I've only seen one David Lynch short film.
2: A certain encounter with fear was not that good either. Um, then this one was pretty long, but there was some interesting content in it. Uh, if you're really interested in checking out some of the stuff, this is the other one I'd recommend. Uh, there's a few different names that I, mostly I see 16 millimeter or early experiments. But it's just a a 60 millimeter film that runs for a a little bit. And it's just various like experiments with um, in-camera effects, especially. Um, One that comes up a lot is playing with like a a mirror. Um, And so there's some stuff of like, this is where you get some flies. Oh. And then having like extreme close up on fly with a mirror. So now you're getting like a even weirder being because the mirror is like, Not straight down the middle of the fly, but now it's like bisecting in a way where you're getting a different weird, um, like animal thing happening. Also does it with like human body, um, doing the, the mirror shot, uh, really like preoccupation with fire begins to emerge more here, which it did show up in, um, the six men getting sick. I don't know if it showed up in any other ones. I'm trying to remember. But there's a lot of fire here. There's like a a certain demonic... Does the fire walk at all? There's demonic stuff with fire. Does it walk? No. I mean, is fire spreading fire walking?
1: What does it mean to fire walk?
2: I, I always thought it was... I, was th- I always read it kind of as, even though there isn't a comma there. Yeah. Fire, walk with
1: me. I can't tell if that's how David wrote the line. Yeah. I don't even know if he wrote the line. I assume he did. Uh, I can't tell if that's how he wrote the line or how um, the actor who plays Mike reads it in the first episode, because he definitely says, fire, walk with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Let me... Let me see if I can do this from memory. You you're pulling up the the exact wording, but I'm gonna see if um through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see um a a, a chant rings out between two worlds. Firewalk with me. I cut out a lot. That's like basically basically all I yeah. said is one ring to rule them all, one ring to find so, them. So
2: through the darkness of futures past, futures past. Which, when spoken, could be ambiguous of multiple futures, but Uh um, I've also seen it's like, possessive. Futures past.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. Okay.
1: I feel like all I said was one ring to rule them all. When there's, like, the whole, like, convenience store, we lived above it. Like, I think of that as part of the poem in my head, but I did not. Let me see
2: if I can find the, like, full poem. Um.
1: <laughs> no No Well I should get that mug though
3: Yeah
2: Yeah there is Although I guess it's it's maybe not the poem And it's the full monologue
1: Yeah maybe if you googled Firewalk with me Oh here we go No we, Oh, oh. Oh, he starts through the darkness of future's past. The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds fire walk with me. We lived among the people. I think you say convenience store. We lived above it. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I too have been touched by the devilish one tattoo on the left shoulder. Oh, but when I saw the face of God, I was changed. I took the entire arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Yeah. I did not read that nearly as well as the actor who plays Mike did. I I think yeah. the guy who plays Mike is really fucking good in that first episode. Yeah. I think he's good in everything, but I think in that first episode, in the, in the pilot, he's so good.
2: <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, there's some stuff that comes up in the early experiments that gets, um, like even used in the alphabet, which is the next year. And I think I've heard some of this stuff gets used in other short films and stuff, <laughs> um, it really does just feel like he's experimenting with some like in camera effects and then ends up like finding a more specific use to it for it. Whereas this is just purely like, I'm just trying to figure out some interesting stuff I can do with a camera. And then I'm going to figure out what to do with it later. Um, but it's still kind of interesting for that. There's one part that's, I really kept wanting something more to happen where there's like one of his weird, um, sculptures and, and this is actually, I think, going to show up in the alphabet, the sculpture. There's a part where he's, like, basically just moving his hand on the wall next to it. And it never really goes anywhere. And I was like, is he going to do this whole thing? And then we're going to see, a, like, a post-process effect that he did on it where something else is going to happen. Um, you don't. So, that was the part that I found mm. the most boring. Yeah. But there's some other interesting stuff in here. Just, like, purely visually as someone interested in Lynch. Um he doesn't have video effects yet, but he's already experimenting with, like, what what effects can I do that are not going to feel realistic, but are going to evoke weird feelings. I know... Um... It is obvious that there's a mirror here, and I'm doing a mirror effect with the human body that's not what I care about. What I care about is that you are seeing like weird things happening to the human body. And that still
1: like leaves an impression on you, even if you are fully aware of the effect that's happening. I know Inland Empire is like shot on video, like in 480 and you know, the whole thing. I, I'm, I'll am i be curious to know, to maybe circle back to this after Inland Empire and see like, okay, Inland Empire, he's forcing himself to work with like lower fidelity cameras Let's see how that changed between you know nineteen sixty six and nine in two thousand and six yeah you know um um
2: and then the alphabet I think this is the one that's the most interesting um there's a certain amount of like him latching onto something and deciding to go with that but then there's also like stuff going on within it where a lot of it is abstract. There's not, like, a, a specific clear storyline. But what I think he's latching onto is uh, this is 1969. When did Sesame Street start? Um, 67, um, I think. Yeah, maybe. I feel like it's, like, right around. Like, it feels so influenced by, like, Sesame Street is a thing now.
1: Um, I mean, 69, but, like, a short film like this could so easily be, like, oh, I saw, yeah, like, I four episodes of this with, like, he has kids already in, at this time, right? Yeah.
2: Well, and also, I'm sure that the like animation stuff that's happening in Sesame Street was not involved. Oh, this says it was from 68. Huh. was not invented whole cloth Yeah, by Sesame Street. But so it's this thing of like A, B, C, A, B, C, and then you get like the full A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, so first you're seeing the letters. You're getting this weird animation. You're getting this woman saying it. But then a lot of it is like... Oh, you could you could so easily imagine the Sesame Street animation of this stuff, especially early Sesame Street, which I think is a little weirder than stuff now. Mm-hmm. People haven't seen like seventy Sesame Street. Go check it out. Some of that stuff does feel like weird, and um, they're just like experimenting with animation in a way that later stuff is going to like more solidify into a style. Right. Um. But so there's like some experimental animation. There's like this woman who. I think this is the one where she goes and like waters some weird plants um, and weird stuff is happening. Um, but, and so it's like this stuff around, I think it's his, his wife or maybe girlfriend at the time, Peggy Lynch. Mm. I guess would be wife. Was Peggy Lynch his first wife? I don't know. I'm looking it up. Um, she's the main uh, actress in it. Um, I that her sister. But yeah, Peggy, Peggy Lentz at this time, married 1968. So yeah. Hmm. Um, so his first wife. Um, And, but like stuff is just getting kind of weird and uh, venturing into some of this disturbing territory that I think he's going to become interested in. And it's one of the first, like of the shorts that I watched, I think it's the first one that nails this thing that I think he's going to get better at going on that head does sometimes but also Sometimes struggles in its length To do mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying That the alphabet is like fantastic but it's just My favorite so far which is that It kind Of sits on this edge where sometimes It feels a little like weird Or and hokey or right. um, Funny or Something and then like it'll Just very easily turn into something that Like actually feels like genuine horror And then it will kind of like continue to Teeter around on that point um, it was really one of the first ones that like felt like it was cause some of the stuff in, um, the early experiments, the 16 millimeter film mm-hmm. felt like, Oh, here's a thing where like we're depicting something demonic with fire or something horrible. Like this woman's got blood on her face and stuff. Um, but it wasn't like quite congealing into here's an actual concept of let me like oscillate between different modes intentionally. Cause it's all just kind of experiments on a, on a, Strip of film. Uh-huh. This is the first one where it was really like, oh, <clears throat> you're like, you're. I'm seeing this thing that you're developing that you're getting kind of interested in. So, um, of all of these, the alphabet's the biggest one that I've watched so far. Where I'm like, people should go check that out.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to.
2: Um, there's a part of me that feels like the grandmother. I think is the name of it is going to be too long for what it is, mm-hmm. but who knows? Yeah, maybe I'll knows. come back next time. And I'll be like, no, that was great. Um, and then they have one after that is shorter. I, I'm expecting to like it more just because it's shorter. I think at this time, like some of his longer works, he's like struggling to actually figure out how to make it sustain that length. Hmm. That's something he's going to get better at, but like, that's something we struggled with, with, um, eraser head. And then elephant man is slow, but I think it is better in its slowness than Eraserhead was. I think so too. From, yeah. from the little taste of it we got maybe we'll come back and have changed our yeah. minds but
1: helps it like helps to just have dialogue yeah you know it it does a lot <laughs> yeah um we got two questions you want me to read them sure um first one is from Aiden i'm pulling it up now Do you have any fondness for David Lynch filming in black and white compared to color? I definitely, um, I don't know. When we dipped into The Elephant Man, I don't know if this is because of the restorations that the Criterion Collection has done. I don't even know if we were watching like Criterion restoration of um, The Elephant Man. Yeah, because
2: this one wasn't, what we were watching wasn't on Criterion Channel. It's not on there.
1: There is a certain sharpness to the way that David Lynch shoots black and white. And I first really noticed it um, in the return in sequences there that are black and white. But now going back to eraser head and the elephant man, it is present in the early work. And I'd be interested to know like what work has been done to get it there. If any, but, like, he shoots in really high contrast that I just find really I, evocative. Yeah.
2: I think he just, in a way that, like, when we talked about She's Gotta habit, mm-hmm. that is a, a movie that does look good in black and white, but is also, like, he so clearly wants to move to color.
1: Yes. Spike There's Lee a, would rather
2: shoot yes. in color. And there's like a color segment in there and the color segment looks better. And it's it's not that he's like, it's not that none of the black and white stuff looks good, Uh huh. but he is just not spending the same amount of time that I think at this point David Lynch was yes. of being like, I want to make sure that I am like learning how to shoot things well in black and white. Mm. There's a, the from the, both these shorts that I watched as well as like, uh Eraser Head, and then also um what we've seen of the Elephant Man, what I've seen of the Return, there's a clear, clear sense that David Lynch likes old black and white movies too. Yes. He likes like silent black and white movies. The Elephant Man like Like, he likes German Expressionism. I'm positive of this. I've never heard him mention it. Like, I'm not saying there's an interview where he said this. I look at his work and he likes German Expressionism.
1: Yeah. Well, and he, he, and I know this about him, he likes the old Hollywood studio system movies. And I can see it in even that little bit of, like, The Elephant Man that we watched. He just frames shots in a way that people don't frame shots, by even by 1980. Yeah. And I mean it in, like, you just don't, especially as Academy Ratio fell out of favor, you don't get, like, two actors are going to stand really close to each other, closer than two, you know, colleagues might normally stand, and, like, be in three quarters, you know, and, like we're gonna have the camera just below the eye line you know there's just like not a not a way of framing shots that is like commonly employed in, yeah. in that time frame and and I don't think he's doing it as homage I think he's doing it because he's like I've watched dozens and dozens of these movies and I like when you get actors in three quarters and all all these things you know yeah I think that's just what he likes
2: yeah it's 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 less like homage and just the sense of I want to do a send up of this and more just like a a genuine like this is just a mode of movie making that I like yes and i same way that like also in a way that like I I see this too and I think he has an interest in some of these things that are not like this is what the big um like Hollywood thing which is gonna be interesting when we get to Dune and he's being asked to do that right um and I I think in many ways he he doesn't give you a Star Wars in the way that you want, necessarily out of something like that.
1: Dino also does his best to not give us a Star Wars despite yes. trying really hard to give us a Star Wars. But. Um
2: But we'll get to that when we get to it. But like Yeah, so so one I am I I just I'm trying to like find my place in exactly what But like so we get to Twin Peaks and he's like I don't think he's like homaging like the soap style so much as he is just genuinely interested in yes. some of these styles of making like audio visual media that is not necessarily like, this is what the, the big hot thing is. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a, a a thing that is maybe not even fully appreciated in right now, yes. but that I have an interest in. And yes. I like enjoy bringing in these aspects. You know. And
1: yeah, I think he just has a very I think he has a very high contrast way of shooting black and white. It's interesting the ways he also goes for the high contrast stuff in Fire Walk with Me, in in Mulholland, and in parts of The Return, but not all of The Return, you know? Like yeah. even when he shoots color, he has this well he can go to that he that he doesn't always you know <clears throat> i don't i can't think of like parts of blue velvet that are like pop in the way that like most of eraserhead just kind of pops you know yeah um but like like but blue it, velvet is like intentionally doing like this other thing this yeah. like um you know couching it in the sort of cinematic language of the 50s and 80s nostalgia for the 50s you know
2: yeah but yeah, some of the some of this black I think I feel like less from what we've seen in Elephant Man. But like definitely eraser head and definitely some of the black and white stuff that comes up in Twin Peaks as well. There's like an appreciation for vignetting. Uh-huh. Um, which is for people who aren't familiar, is kind of um it's sometimes just a, a like product of the lens you are using. Right. Um But basically, like, it's when the edges kind of fall just into darkness.
1: Yes. Right. And it's
2: like you almost get the spotlight effect, but it's often more caused by you're actually kind of seeing the edges of the lens.
1: And, like, it's an effect that is really interesting and really cool and really, like, dynamic in a lot of ways that um, has been flattened by contemporary visual culture just being like, I see vignetting and I'm like, oh, Instagram. Yeah, because it was just everywhere on Instagram for years, and I'm sure yeah, it's still very popular as like a format for images. I feel like there's this because early Instagram had
2: so much of like filters applied. There's been this big push in a lot of those spaces now to like remove all filters to give the like purest sense of
1: unedited uh-huh. photo, um, as if that is like a dichotomy, yes, and a, a, a desirable goal,
2: yes. Whereas I'm just like, hey, if you're taking pictures of your food and posting it on the internet, you can, like, play around with some filters to, like, make it look a little less yeah, desaturated and stuff. Um, without necessarily going to the full Instagram, here's a vignette and it's, like, pushed way into red or something now. Right with like a film grain texture with scratches applied over it or whatever, you know, yeah. you don't have to go to Dave McKean covers territory <laughs> in your editing photos a little bit before you post
1: them. Um, Aiden goes on to ask, are there any directors who, um, you think have short films that outclass their feature length works? I, uh, don't watch a lot of short films. It's just not a thing that has ever caught my interest in that way
2: yeah um directors were short films outclass there i mean hmm. one thing is uh, the more i think about like grass labyrinth is a fucking incredible movie which is yeah by terry Shuji. it's like 45 minutes uh-huh. which i think constitutes a short film yeah it's a longer end of short film yeah but there's more going on in there than a lot of feature length films I've seen. That movie Uh just continues to blow me. Like when I think about it, Uh but also I love his other stuff. I don't, I don't think grass labyrinth necessarily, um, outclasses some of the other stuff I've seen from Teriyama Shuji. but also it's one where I'm like, you can't just watch a 45 minute film from him and get a lot of what he does. Right. And that's incredible. Um, Hmm. There, There's a certain I Early Don Hertzfeld shorts I don't like as much as some of his later stuff But I there's some of his Things like short films He's made that he's then stitched together Into feature length films And I like them more as series of shorts Uh huh um, Don Hertzfeld also someone with a deep Appreciation for old black And white movies and vignetting
1: I think he probably likes David Lynch. Oh sure, Ina says, "Hello." As we speak, I'm sitting right by the dance floor of a um, very large midwestern white people wedding. It's making me wonder how the cast of Tokyo Drift would dance at one of these. I hope you don't know this kind of wedding, but if you do, please consider this question. Ina, I know this type of wedding. We have both been to countless of these types. Yeah, I, I, I am, am the youngest. Of five children. My mom was the youngest of five, which means I have many cousins.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think the only type of wedding I've ever been to is like... Okay, I've been to two types of weddings. Midwestern white people wedding. Um, I've been to ones that I've really enjoyed. I've been to ones that felt like torture. And then, like, when my dad and stepmom got married... We went to my dad's best friend's house, they got married in the living room, and then my dad's best friend made some steaks, you know, which is a different type of Midwestern white wedding, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it's still very Midwestern and very white (laughs) Um, in some
2: ways. Yeah, I've done a a lot of Midwestern white weddings. Uh, Even the one that I went to in D.C. was a little bit that because they are both from Michigan. Yes, yes. Uh, it's young people Midwestern white re- wedding, but not... That's right. not substantially different. Uh, it's still primarily you get two families together and get them really drunk on a dance floor. Uh-huh. Um, Emily and I's wedding, we did it early, partially because we didn't have a ton of money and we didn't want to do an open bar. Um, and so we did a fairly early one and then we had like a high tea for the reception and then it was like, get out of here, like beginning of afternoon we're done with our wedding um which is also nice because then we just got to hang out like together
1: yeah on so th- your wedding yeah day. on our wedding day
2: afterwards you didn't
1: spend your um, whole wedding day like attending to other people yeah
2: and so it's still a little bit of a midwestern white wedding but i feel like it misses one of the it it didn't have one of the crucial parts which is uh two families getting really drunk and embarrassing themselves
1: my wedding was um Nora and I on a Zoom call with approximately forty other people, including Jackson and Alexis, because yeah. as our two British <laughs> friends were the people who were available to be there at eleven AM on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Um The one
2: that I haven't that I went to that was not this was still one of my brothers, mm-hmm. but um, He was living in Xi'an, China at mm-hmm. the time And married a girl from Xi'an um, And went for that And uh, Chinese wedding is very different than in Western yeah. wedding Although still a lot of people getting drunk
3: mm-hmm.
1: But Anyway To answer the question I think if the characters from Tokyo Drift Went to a wedding What would happen Would be that like The... Bama Boy. Bama uh, Boy's gonna be getting drunk but too nervous to dance at least for a little bit. He's gonna get he's gonna have a couple beers and he's gonna be too nervous to dance, and then his girlfriend's gonna get him out on the floor, and he's gonna like kinda sway on the ones and the threes a little bit, yeah. and like then Hans gonna come over and roast him. Oh man, you have no idea how to dance. Let me show you. And he's just kind of swaying on the twos and fours with a little more zest, but like yeah. he's not actually dancing. He's just yeah. kind of swaying a little bit. But he
2: does know the twos and fours. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And like it's not just purely
2: swaying. There's like a little bit of like moving the feet around.
1: Yeah, you know. But he's not. <laughs> he's still not dancing that good. <laughs> yeah. And then I think like Bow Wow actually knows but, how to
2: dance. But he is just a lot hotter. Yes. While he's
1: doing it, than
2: Bama Boy was. Yes. So you kind of don't mind as much. But then, but yeah. yeah. Then, then Bow Wow.
1: Bow Wow just knows how to dance because he's yeah. a professional musician and. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um. Do Do we want to go through the? Do we I really do... care about the other characters. No,
1: I don't. <laughs> I do um... not. I didn't realize that was Sunny Chiba in this movie. Yeah. That's pretty fucking sick. Yeah. yeah. He's old enough that I just don't recognize him there. Um, I'm just looking at the cast of characters. I love this movie. Ina also asks, "Does Lucas from Tokyo Drift like Culvers? Which one's Lucas?" Um, that's Bama Boy. That's the actor who plays Bama Boy. Ah, yes that that boy loves him some fried cheese curds.
3: Yeah,
2: I think he's like more into fried chicken.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Like, his pick isn't let's go to Culver's, but he will eat Culver's. If you're like, let's get Culver's, he's he's not complaining at all. He is happy to get some cheese curds.
1: The first time he got Culver's, he was like 12 years old, and he was like, I don't know about this. I don't yeah. know about this. And then he got it, and he's like, oh, no, this is good.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Butterburger? What's that? You have a Culver's really near your place, and I've never gone there because, like, Usually if I'm over in this part of town, you're making dinner. But I do just, like, sometimes think about coming to visit you and then just being like, all right, it's 5 p.m., I'm going to bounce, I'm going to get some Culver's and go back to my place. <laughs> just
2: shunning my food.
1: Well, there's not like a drive through so it's not like... If I was going to, like, come over to this part of town, it's going to be to hang out with you... I'm not going to come over here just to walk into a Culver's.
2: There might be a drive-thru. Like, I think.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I'll have to double check. Anyway, last question from Ina. Does Han like Culver's? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now Han is the one who's like, let's go get Culver's. And then Mama boy's like, oh yeah, I could, I could have some Culver's.
1: Yeah. Han is like, Han is a motherfucker who like, you pull up at the McDonald's drive-thru and you're like, I'll have a number six with fries and a Coke. Do you want anything? And Han's like,
2: can we go to Culver's after this?
1: No, what I was going to say uh. is that you get to the McDonald's, you're like, Han, you getting anything? And he's like, I'm going to get a number four, tell them extra cheese, no pickles. I want double sauce. I want yeah. some sauce on the fries. I want a packet of sauce. <laughs> and then I want them to flip it upside down and toast the bun. <laughs> and you're like, Bro, we're in a drive-thru right now. It's 2 a.m. I'm <laughs> high as shit. You're not getting all of this. <laughs> Number four, you said? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just like, I'll just take you to
2: Culver's because they do it how you like it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes to Culver's and he gets his cheese curds and his frozen custard and his fries and his sandwich.
2: Uh, Han, I can just so clearly see... Like, burger in one hand, eating the burger. Uh Uh-huh. Other hand has the cheese curds, dipping it in the frozen custard to eat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can... I imagine Han is, like, the sort of guy that you, like, go get food with him, and you're like, how are you only, like, 120 pounds? Like,
3: what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like...
2: (laughs) You're like, like... you're so lucky that you're gonna die before your metabolism catches up with you.
1: You know the um Nancy she's going in on that cornbread stream. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um well yeah, I guess that does it for this episode of Ornate Stairwells. Um What a stupid episode. Yeah. We've gone two hours and we didn't even watch the damn movie. <laughs> yeah. I had
2: some funny thing that I was going to launch into and I, I'm tired and have forgotten it. Where could people find you online? People can find me at Fox Mom Nia on a Twitter and a co-host. And I remembered the thing I was going to launch into, which is you can also listen to my other podcast, Pondering Pouton which we talked a little bit about earlier. Yeah. You can go listen to that. And then also Ghost Divers. Uh, we just had the episode go out. That was the concluding discussion about uh, Serial Experiments Lane. And I, in the tweet, said that you called it mid. That is an exaggeration. I.
1: Okay. You call
2: it mid to be inflammatory sometimes. Yes.
1: Yes, I'm being inflammatory. You
2: don't think it's mid, but that is a a podcast with critiques Mm -hmm. about Serial Experiments Lane. Mm -hmm. I have yet to hear any of you people who are like Serial Experiments Lane is the best anime ever to actually engage with those critiques and (laughs) talk to us at all about why it is good. Everyone's just like, well, it's self-evident that it's good. And it's like, do you listen to the episode where we actually talk about like, how there's a deeply conservative strain to the ending and there's like a lot of things going on with it that don't fully get resolved. And if you're just familiar with V cinema, a lot of what it's doing is like Mm -hmm. not that different than other V cinema. They can sometimes be stronger and more emotionally affecting and digging into stuff more in 90 minutes than that full series. It is really good. It's one of my favorite anime. I'm just saying if you think it's the best anime ever, you gotta bring something more to the table than just being self-evident. <laughs> Sorry, um You don't you're excused if you don't wanna engage with this. But... <laughs> I I think the only person who's gotten close to doing the argument, and it's the argument that I fully agree with, is Dia. Mm-hmm. And it's just like when this came out, yeah. Immaculate vibes. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of anime will, like, even today, fail to achieve this level of, like, consistent vibes throughout. Yeah. Um, the vibes, perfect. Yeah. Flawless. But also, some of the stuff that it's doing that's interesting, go watch some Teriyama Shuji films, my man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at a tumble. You can go to exportod.io. That takes you to the Patreon page where we have links to all the free feeds for the podcasts. Or, if you don't want that, if you want to just give us a dollar a month, you get this podcast early. You get Bag End Book Club early. You get Gotham City Limits early. You get all sorts of things. Um, We've got some stuff that's like kind of sunsetting a little bit. So I want to add some more stuff to the early tier. We're going to figure that out. I'm not starting another podcast. I just want to, you know... Figure something out for all you, uh, all our beloved one dollar patrons. For five dollars, you get Pop Town Funk through most of August. We were, you know, MIA. September, we put out three episodes in seven days, so we got we got you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we might record another episode tomorrow.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I mm, I doubt that because we might have a guest for that. We we're planning on having a guest unless something goes awry. So.
3: Yeah. Well, one of
2: these days we got to do the Taoism I know you're still like slowly listening through. Oh,
1: I finished. Um, the Tao Te The Tao Te I just want to read more of Zhuangzi. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But at some point we should do that. Yeah. We talked about that. I remembered that yesterday.
1: I remembered that yesterday too. Yeah. Why did you remember I remembered it because I was re-listening to the Da De Jing. Why did you remember it? Just because?
2: Yeah. I think
1: I, I, think what it was, there
2: was a bunch of Pop Town stuff happening. I was like, it's kind of weird that I still haven't been on, like, an export audio or anything mm-hmm. like that. And then I was like, wait a minute, we were going to do that podcast. <laughs> I don't know what feed that was going to go in. But yeah. But we were going to count it as. But Anyway, Okakoro was real. Okokoro okay, is real. Mm-hmm. I know you have one more movie. I wanted you to get through all of them before I, I had to. I have to go to the bathroom.
3: Yeah, no worries.
2: So, are get you just gonna here. vamp or? am I'll I'm figure just gonna, it out.
1: Go. Alright, shoot. Get. I just have to go to the bathroom so bad. Yeah, totally. I'm
2: so locked in here.
1: <laughs> here we go. You got this. Um, okay, let me... So, panel two. Once again, this is about... This is chapter nine of, um, Cromartie High School Taxi. I read panel one earlier, I'm not gonna reread it, but this is about, uh, Yutaka Takinuchi. Um... And we got, a, we got a panel here of him smoking in class, and it says he is predisposed to becoming motion sick very easily, but it ain't got nothing to do with how tough I am, he says. <clears throat> and then, main guy, whose name I don't really know, I just watched one episode of the show one time, um, it says, Takenuchi-kun, I have awful news, Maida's been kidnapped by a gang from, uh, Bass High School. What? Bass? Says takenuchi Um, Not much really to describe here as far as the drawing goes. And then um, main guy, once again, don't know his name. Uh, We get him. He's sort of haloed by like motion lines to express how like fired up he is about this. He says, I'm fundamentally against fighting, but since a friend is in trouble, it's a necessary evil. And then we get sort of a, a wide shot of some guys in class talking Um, this, this panel is mostly word balloon, honestly, uh, they say some guys in class, should we go round up the troops? I've gotten into it with those bass pansies a couple times before I'd be fine even on my own, says Takenuchi. Um, and then Takenuchi is like walking down the hall and two guys from class are talking, man, Takenuchi something else, certainly someone we can depend on. <clears throat> Takinuchi says, get moving, you two. Once again, he's haloed by motion lines. Everybody's haloed by motion lines. Um Main Guy says, Okay, we're all set. So they go outside and they've they they've got a cab. Um, Takinuchi is like looking at them. You just see the back of Takenuchi's head as they're like in the cab. Uh, and they're opening the door for him, like he's a mob boss, and he's like. He just says dot 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 like he's just like hmm, um, and he says why don't we just walk? It's 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 not far. I mean, guy, they're probably knocking him senseless. They're probably knocking him senseless. There's no time to lose. Um, and then we get a panel. There's no background here. It is just no no word bubble. This is just the internal monologue of Takinuchi saying crap. For me, taxis are just as bad as tour buses and that weird smell they always have. It has the destructive power to lay me flat almost instantly. Urgh, this this sucks. I feel sick just looking at the damn thing. Remember, he's motion, he gets motion sick easily. Um, Then there's another classmate who's been in a couple panels now. He's got a mohawk, kind of. He says, come on, Takinuchi, we can't do it without you. And Takenuchi's contemplating more, he says. He thinks, if anyone ever finds out, I get carsick. The reputation I've built up crumble to the ground. I might I might not even be able to go out in public. Sort of interesting, like, what it's like to be a high schooler with anxiety sort of thing. And so we get another wide shot, no background here. Uh, Takenuchi says, before we get in, let me say something. The other guys are now, they're saying dot dot dot, like they're saying ellipsis. They don't know what to think of this. He says, <clears throat> I know we're in a hurry, but if we go to Bass and they're ready for us, we'll really be in for it. I think we should go back inside and think things out clearly. Mohawk guy says, you're right. It could be a trap to lure us out into the open. Maybe we should hammer out a good plan first. Takinuchi's fired up now, he says. Right, it's definitely a trap, so first we should come up with a plan. Main guy, all right, then we'll formulate our strategy on the way. And he insists on them getting in the car. They get in the car. Takinuchi is sweating. He thinks to himself, I'm in the car. And in the middle seat. What the hell? You know. Outside the, the windows of the taxi, it's just all motion lines. Um, Takenuchi's grabbing his head. He's sweating. Now I can't even get any fresh air from the window or jump out if I need to. And who's that bastard in the passenger seat? He looks like some kind of rock singer. Freddie's in the... In the... Passenger seat of the car. Tucking you, she's thinking to himself, "Crap! Just thinking about all that made me feel sicker. I have to concentrate. Stop the car, huh? But why?" And uh, you're back, so I'm gonna stop reading from uh, from Marty High School. You
2: still doing chapter nine?
1: Well, yeah, I was doing kind of a Garfield read-aloud treatment of it. You know yeah. Garfield Reload? Never heard of it. It's his Twitter account. It's not really active anymore. But it was this Twitter account that would just read um, each day's Garfield strip. It's pretty funny.
2: Sounds stupid.
1: Well, sometimes um, she'd do gimmicks like she would like she would like read the Garfield and then just like put a whole cupcake in her mouth and just like totally make her face messy or some shit. Or she'd like eat an entire banana in like one bite.
2: Yeah. I guess that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of miss doing Garfield Red Aloud, but also I support your reasons for not
1: doing Garfield Red Aloud yeah. anymore. You know what I could do. The them the like mm. the
2: growing audience for Garfield Aloud was not the people who I wanted actually. Yeah. I don't think they are they were understanding the art.
1: Yeah. It's a heavy burden, but
2: when I saw that n f t Twitter icon Garfield account, God, I just couldn't anymore
1: i t- did I tell you the the Ajax Garfcon story? I think so. basically, the Ajax guys went to the Garfield convention that happens every year um and were kind of like the people at the Garfield convention were kind of like giving them the side eye and like, didn't really want them around because they could tell that like, Oh, these guys are just here for irony. They don't appreciate Garfield like we do. Um, And the, the Ajax guy slowly realizing that like there, they get lots of people like this. They get lots of people like most of the people at the Garfield convention, just like Garfield. But there are a lot of people who show up to the Garfield convention that are just like, assholes with irony poisoning yeah (laughs) so
2: yeah